Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. This past year has reminded us all how unpredictable the world can be. It's also provided us valuable time to check in with ourselves and our loved ones, including our furry family members. Trupanion wants to help make sure your pups are protected for the future by handling anything unexpected that comes your way. Trupanion takes the stress and confusion out of going to the vet with their ability to provide payment directly to participating veterinarians. That way, you don't have to pay expensive vet bills out of pocket. They also have a breeder support program that includes special coverage offer for your litters, as well as a dedicated account manager to help you out. Learn more, sign up for coverage, or the breeder support program. Just follow the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And it's coming summertime, people. We are going to have some great conversations this summer. And we're kicking it off with my friend, Amanda Kelly. And we are going to talk about breeding dogs. (laughs) We are going to talk about the times that we have been so blindsided because it looked absolutely fabulous on paper. It looked great on paper. And then the puppies arrived and you said, oh, well. (laughs) So welcome, Amanda. Oh, thanks for having me. I can't wait for this conversation. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) And I'm even going to start. So you don't even have to feel like I'm like throwing you under the bus or anything. I'm taking it on me first. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Lay it on me. Lay it on me, baby. So this is early on in my breeding of my own, like not with my family. This is me and my own wire hair pointers. And it's a bitch out of my second litter for my foundation bitch. So this is Gen 2. Mm-hmm. And I have this fabulous stud dog that my mom had bred that was actually out of Gen 1. And so I'm going to bring these lines together. It's going to be amazing. Five generations solid of dual champions, mm-hmm. which is my stated active goal. I want to make dual dogs have since the very beginning. The sire, the stud dog that we want to use that my mom bred is the breed's first best in show winning dual champion. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's amazing. And the female is out of a dual champion who is a group placer, who was an award of merit at the national, who is everything. And there's this pedigree as long as your arm, nothing but fabulous dogs. Right. Excellent. My theme for the litter, Amanda, superheroes. Oh, yeah. No. Here's another (laughs) side note. Never, (laughs) ever, ever set yourself up that way, folks. I'm here to tell you. (laughs) Please don't. They were going to be Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and all of it. And then they finally arrived. (laughs) Six out of seven puppies were horrendously mismarked. Mm -hmm. I mean... In a breed that should have a solid liver head, there was one puppy that had a solid liver head. 
one Mm-mm. out of seven. One of them had no solid liver anywhere. I had never seen anything like it. I was horrified. Horrified. I mean, they were pretty. <laughs> Structurally, the one of the mismarked boys is probably to this day one of the prettiest dogs I ever bred. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were hella pretty. Great bird dogs, great dogs, great temperament, great health. They all lived ugly forever. And I had one properly marked dog who owner handled, finished his championship, who was OFA fair. And so I bred him one time. And what I learned, so now our takeaway, I learned things from this fiasco. We always do. P.S. The superheroes became villains. And so this dog's name was Kryptonite. And we had Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze and the Joker and like that. Mm -hmm. So humility is important. And the ability to laugh at oneself. So bred this one puppy that was able to be bred down from that litter. And what I learned is that there could not be, you know, sometimes in our spotted dogs, the spots kind of slide. So in genetics, the spot is supposed to be in a certain spot. And that's what the solid head is. That's a spot. And so if your spot slides over, it's no longer a solid head. So I learned to see telltale signs and also to know certain lines where this might be an issue. And as a test breeding, I bred that dog, who was the one properly bred marked puppy, to a completely solid-headed bitch. She didn't even have a blaze. She was so heavily marked, you wouldn't even know that she was ticked. I mean, she was practically solid liver. Her liver was practically black. I mean, she was fabulous. Again, in this same family line, great. And she had good hips, and both her parents had excellent hips. Okay, great. Kind of a nice, loose line breeding. Beautiful, fabulous, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were pretty puppies. One was dysplastic. One Ooh. died of pancreatic cancer at four. Something that my vet said she had never seen in 30 years. My. A dog with pancreatic cancer. So what I'm trying to tell everyone, and I know Amanda's going to have a story to share too, is that the best laid plans of mice and men, man plans, God laughs, mother nature is a wicked mistress. These are all real. <laughs> And they are truisms because they're true. (laughs) That's right. And it doesn't matter how long you've been breeding. I really feel like the more you think you know, the more you challenge someone out there controlling the universe to just prove to you that you don't. (laughs) Honey, you are so not in charge of anything. My story about the best laid plans is a little bit different because it's a little bit less about what we ended up with out of the litter and more about kind of the problems that we created for ourselves in trying to get from point A of a breeding to point B of nice registered puppies. (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking. I feel like, you know, sometimes you just think you're so smart. (laughs) Oh, honey, I think it every day. And once again, the universe is like, ha ha. (laughs) So I decided that I was going to do a dual sired litter. That's why I remember you told me this. So, okay. Full disclosure, we just did an interview with Marty Greer about dual sired litters. So this is a perfect segue. Okay. So 
I want to preface this by saying that dual-sired litters are not terrible ideas. This one just didn't happen to work out for me. We had a bitch that we leased, and I had her for one litter. She was really quite a nice, solid bitch with good legs under her. And, you know, I kind of looked around and I thought, you know, what is it that I want to do with her for this one litter that I have? And I was kind of torn because I thought, you know, on one hand, I really want to brighten up her type. I felt like she needed a better head and I could maybe make her a little fancier. But then on the other side, you know, my breeder cap on, I thought, well, you know, I really like the legs under her Mm -hmm. and I want to keep that. So I looked around and I thought, can I find at this moment, because of course we all know that in retrospect, if we could breed dog A that was alive in 1992 to dog B that's alive in 2007, we'd be golden. There you go. It doesn't always work out that way, particularly in breeds, as you know, that have smaller populations. You kind of have to work with what you have Mm -hmm. or, you know, go frozen semen routes. And that's a little more complicated, too. That's a whole other story. (laughs) So I kind of narrowed it down to these two males. One was a male of mine. One was a male that belonged to someone in the United States, which, of course, you know, there's always for my breedings that kind of added logistical component. Right. Right. And again, there wasn't a dog that had both things that I wanted as far as being able to kind of predict what they would produce with this bitch. So I thought to myself, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to breed her to both of these dogs. Yeah. And it's going to be awesome. Yeah. We're going to get some typey puppies. We're going to get some dogs with great legs. This is going to be great. It's going to be like having two litters at once. That was the theory. So... (laughs) Anyways, everything went fine. We ended up doing implants and semen, et cetera, et cetera. The owner of the stud dog in the U.S. was fabulously patient and wonderful. We had two puppies. So not, you know, the hugest litter on planet Earth. Toy Manchester's two isn't unheard of, but still, that's disappointing when you've put a lot into it. Okay, we there's strike number one. But that's all right, because two puppies is better than zero puppies. Yes. So, you know, when they were born, I looked at them and I knew immediately that one was out of one sire and one was out of another. Oh, interesting. Which is perhaps more rare than common. You know, often you end up with puppies that are all out of one sire. Mm -hmm. But it was very obvious to me that one was out of one sire and one was out of the other. They clearly looked like it. I thought, okay, this is going to be great. Now, this is sort of early in the dual sired kind of technology or practice. So I promptly picked up the phone and called the Canadian Kennel Club and said, okay, now I know I have to have parentage testing done, et cetera, et cetera. Can you refer me to whatever your preferred lab is? And the response was, well, we don't really have a preferred lab, but here's a list of a few places that we can recommend to you. So off the parentage test went to lab number one on the list. And they ran the puppies against one panel of 10 markers. Mm -hmm. Puppy number one, clearly out of sire number two. Puppy number two, who knows? So the response I get is, well, you know, there's no marker that's different that would indicate to us which of these two sires is the sire. Now, as an aside, the next part of the conversation went like this. You just tell us what sire you want it to be, and we'll write it down on the paper. 
And I thought, oh my, well, I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. <laughs> Definitely not how it works. <laughs> so they didn't have any more markers. They've run their one and only parentage panel. And so I have not a lot of interest in working more with them. And I promptly called the AKC's preferred testing lab at the time and sent more samples from the puppy and both sires. Paying for all of this too. That's right. That's right. The puppy, both sires, the bitch, everything has to be collected. And of course, you know, we've got the poor stud dog owner in the States who's now doing this for the second time. God bless his soul. I'm sure that he cursed my name to the heavens, but regardless, off everything goes to the AKC lab in California. And they ran it against their panel. I'm old, so I don't remember the details, but it seems to me they might've actually had two reference panels that they ran it against and came back and said, yeah, we actually can't tell either. (laughs) Oh my God. Now, meanwhile, I'm looking at this puppy and he's so clearly out of the sire that I know. He just looks like the spitting image of him. And I'm thinking, how can you not tell? I mean, these dogs are loosely related, but not that closely related. However, all Manchesters are related to some degree. So I'm like, oh my God, what are we going to do? She says, well, we have one reference panel of five markers left. And if we can't tell on this one, it's going to get really complicated and expensive. And I thought, my (laughs) words, I'm pretty sure it's already really complicated and expensive. In fact, I know it's really expensive. Like what's more than this? I don't even want to know. That's right. So thank heavens, they ran that last reference panel and they were able to tell based on one single marker out of the 25 or 30 that had been run between the two labs. Right. And they were able to make a judgment on parentage. So needless to say, we registered that puppy as million dollar baby. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh Uh-huh. And You know, I mean, the litter was pretty much exactly what we thought it was going to be. So it's not a disaster from this perspective of what we produced, but it was such a trial and tribulation. Like PTSD. Like it's given me PTSD just hearing about it. I actually remember saying to myself, and I will never be fancy again. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably why I've never done a dual sire litter. I mean, I've contemplated it a couple of times, but. The thought of the nightmares, because of course the two dogs I wanted to use were like the mother of one was the half sister to the other, way too related to make it an easy call. And they were both like, I've got this much frozen semen. I'm like, I'm going to spend thousands of dollars and either get no puppies or nobody will ever be able to know who's who. (laughs) Well, and there are ways. I mean, look. People shouldn't listen to this story and think, I'll never do a dual sire litter because this might happen to me. First of all, this was not yesterday. I was going to say, this has been a while ago, and I know for a fact that the DNA tests have improved tremendously. They have. And there are other technologies that will allow you to determine parentage rather than just these standard panels. So, you know, don't take it from the perspective of not going out on a limb because As we've discussed before, my biggest advice to breeders is to give themselves permission to be bold, but you do have to be prepared that sometimes (laughs) it's going to be a complicated bold. (laughs) Bold is good. Just for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. If it's very bold, 
it's very likely it's going to be very complicated. <laughs> I have a lot of white hairs. Yes, my glitter. You can't see my glitter under my headset. <laughs> so these are the kind of things that I think as dog breeders, as experienced breeders, sharing. So this is like a mentoring conversation. Think of us as talking to a couple people at the table with us and saying, oh, honey, let me just tell you. <laughs> That's right. Look, if you ever have a conversation with anyone who insinuates to you that they have never had a breeding that didn't go the way they wanted it to, then they are big fat liars. Are lying. Big fat liars. Every breed has had that happen. And it can be, you know, kind of big stories like you and I just told. Mm -hmm. And it can also just be sort of the like mild disappointment that maybe the two stunning dogs that you bred, maybe the puppies are only mediocre. Yes. I think we kind of have to have a sliding scale as a frame of reference for severity. You know, and I don't disagree. And another one that I think is a really, really interesting one to consider that you and I have not talked about, Mm -hmm. repeat breedings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to take one side of it and we'll see what your side is. (laughs) Okay. And if necessary, we'll pull in my mother from the grave because she had all another opinion. (laughs) My opinion of repeat breedings is unless I had like a puppy and it was the greatest thing that ever walked around on four legs, I've already got those genetics. I'm not wasting a bitch's breeding to get the same damn genetics I already had, good or bad. Now, that's my opinion. And then I'll tell you what my mom thought. First of all, I never say never. Right. Never is a really long time. Yep. I have done several repeat breedings. And part of that is because we don't tend to have huge litters. And so my most recent repeat breeding was because we had a beautiful litter of four boys and I wanted a girl. So valid. Okay. So that's a good one. Hang tight guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Hey crew. Are you looking for the gold standard in canine DNA testing for your breed? Join the winning team at Embark and manage your dog's health optimize your breeding program, and improve your litter's bloodlines. As the highest rated dog DNA test on the market, they have a lot in common with Westminster's most legendary champions. Plus, they know your breed like the back of their paw. Select ideal breeding pairs to support healthy pedigrees and lifelong care. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to help manage their breeding program from improving genetic health and diversity to screening for disease mutations, understanding traits, and more. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive canine DNA test, visit EmbarkVet.com and use code PUREDOGDOG to enjoy $20 off each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGDOG. They're world-class scientists and veterinary geneticists are standing by. So, Amanda, what other things would we think of with repeat breedings, pros and cons? I don't know if this falls into this conversation. And again, you know me, I'm not the answer person. I'm just the question person. Yes. I had a vet, or I should say my mother had a vet because I think he retired when I was about 18. And he had been a vet for an eon by the time he retired. And he had a lot of 
experience, like a wide range of experience with large animals and also small animal practice. And so he was one of those really great vets that is really practical and pragmatic mm-hmm. and looks at things based on what he sees. Mm-hmm. And he, he said something about frozen semen that has not necessarily steered me in my own life. I've certainly had frozen semen readings myself, and I have frozen semen stored. But he said something that has always made me think, and I keep coming back to it again and again over the years. He said, dogs are meant to die and no longer be part of the gene pool because we're meant to move forward. And if we're always going backwards, how do we move ahead? And I always thought to myself, you know, it's an interesting thing. And so whenever I kind of think about using frozen semen myself and going into my own little stash of frozen semen, I think that to myself, like, what's the benefit here for my breed? Anyways, that's not really about that. No, that's a really interesting one. And (laughs) I was waiting for you. I was hoping you were going to go in this direction. One of my listeners, my friend Tanya Struble, actually asked me a question that I thought was absolutely fascinating. And I've use some frozen semen. My mother used a lot of frozen semen. Her question was, so you have the semen that's frozen. Mm -hmm. If you have frozen semen that's been frozen for 25 years, does the quality, does anything about it change in terms of the puppies that are produced from it? I don't know enough about the science to be able to comment. It seems like it shouldn't, But it was, she was going through lived experience with a situation like this. And I'm like, that is fascinating. I think the only way you'd really know is if you had a dog that you yourself had used extensively, frozen, Mm -hmm. and then waited and used again, you know, 25 years later with some sort of comparison. But even then, I mean, you're breeding different dogs. So Mm -hmm. it's an interesting question. I think it's still the same genre of consideration and discussion. Right. You have to look at what you're trying to accomplish. What is the benefit of doing the repeat breeding? And you know, there's nothing wrong with doing a repeat breeding just because you want to have something to show. There's nothing wrong with saying, I had a great litter. I want to have something to show. That's a good enough reason. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to do this sport and be involved in this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a tremendous amount of work. And sometimes you're allowed to make a decision that's just about having something that you can have fun with, I think. So we talk a lot as breeders about our overarching breeding plans and our long-term goals, and that's great. And we need to do that. But sometimes we are also allowed to just have a litter because we want to have that litter. And for no other Because I want that puppy. That's right. Just my opinion, but... No, I think that is absolutely a valid opinion. And I think that particularly when you've had a successful litter, great companions, great show dogs, great field dogs, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and you can anticipate that that would bring you similar results. Right. And you have lots of people waiting for all those great dogs. I think that's a perfectly fabulous idea. The only time that I think it's not an acceptable decision is if you're just doing it because it's easy. Yes. You know, nothing makes me crazier than breedings that are planned according to convenience. And again, there are situations where, you know, maybe convenience from the point of view of your life right now, that's a reason for doing it. Mm -hmm. 
but as long as it's not like the perpetual habit. That's the kiss of death for a breeder. I agree. To always take the easy out. Of course, not everybody is going to be able to do, this is one of my favorite breeding stories. A gal in Michigan Mm -hmm. wanted to use one of my stud dogs in Washington. And so they shipped fresh chilled. Well, of course, my stud dog was one of several I've had over the years that would not extend. It didn't matter what extender you put him in. They turned belly up and said, no, we're not doing that. Okay. Yeah, it was very unfortunate. Talk about your breeding programs and a way to not be able to perpetuate them with the way you'd like to. Mm-hmm. Because that particular dog, I would quite literally give a body part to be able to use him today. At any rate, so these two individuals, God love them, decided that they would drive across country and meet one another in South Dakota and have a tryst in the Motel 6. Okay. The dogs. love under the Motel 6 sign. Uh-huh. In somewheresville, South Dakota. Every breeding that you do doesn't have to be an adventure. You have to have a balance that is sustainable for your life. You have to make decisions that are right for your life. And so that means making sound financial decisions. No one should ever go into debt breeding dogs. It is a very bad decision. Well, and that is a big chunk of it. It's like, okay, I blew my wad. I spent $8,000 on two frozen semen surgical implant singleton C-section puppies that I gave both of them away and one of them bounced back. And that happens to all of us. Everything else is going to be a little bit easier for That's right. You need to make some financial decisions. You need to, as we discussed, make your breeding plans according to your own goals and your own needs. Yes. And not what other people think you should do. That's right. Sometimes in your own life, you need something in order to keep you interested in the sport, in order to... In order to whatever. Right. Nobody knows your reality. So make your decisions according to what you need. And what's in the best interest of your breed as well. That's right. And what's in the interest of your breed, I think, is a huge, a huge consideration. But you also can't play it safe every time. So it's a balance. Every now and then you want superheroes and you get villains, but you tried. (laughs) Before we started talking today, one of the things that we had talked about kind of going through is how to avoid these mishaps. Right. In the first place. (laughs) In the first place. And, you know, I started, I thought, okay, I'm just going to make a list and I'll offer some sage advice and wisdom and illuminate the subject. And then I started writing and I thought, you know, I don't think that there is like a magic formula that will make you avoid every pitfall. Right. And I think that's actually the most important piece of things to understand Mm -hmm. is that literally we can plan until the cows come home. We can dot every I, we can cross every T. We can have an enormous passion for good minds and good structure and good health and beautiful dogs that do all those things. And we can care about that more than anything else. And we can test and test and test. And guess what? Mother Nature can just pee in your Cheerios, man. It's just how it goes. I do think there are a few things, though, that you can do that will help you just in general. And these are all the things that we've talked about before as far as how to pick a good stud dog and how to plan a successful breeding program. And, you know, you've had many conversations like this and they all kind of have common elements. 
you need to set clear and realistic goals. Yes. You need to do your research. Have a plan. Have, Have a, a plan. plan. Do your research. Yes. The best predictor of the future is the past. So, you know, if you're not familiar with a particular dog or a particular line, that's when you need to go and make yourself familiar with it. And that means yes. going and looking not only at the dog, but its litter mates and its parents. And what is it produced with other bitches when it's been bred? And what did those bitches look like? And what were their pedigrees like? And, you know, here's another piece that I think is so important in all of that research. And I advocate for it. And I have lived this advocacy for 20 some odd years. Go to your national specialty. Mm -hmm. I know that my longtime listeners will have heard me say this approximately 300 out of the 500 episodes I've talked on. <laughs> Go to your national specialty. Yes. There is no better way to learn about the history, the families of dogs, and don't just go once when it's easy. Well, and I think too, that we have to realize something that's really important about the people that we look up to in the sport. So all of the folks that you talk to as mentors, the real advantage that they have is time. Ding, ding. <laughs> it's a matter of time from an experience perspective, because obviously they've been breeding and so they have experienced things. But there's also an element of time as it relates to observation. So having grown up in my breed, I can remember the dog in front of me's great-great-grandfather and be able to just observe things about that line over time. That continue to come down, that you continue to see that are consistent through the family. That's right. And there's no secret to that. That's not a secret superpower. It's just a matter of having seen things. It is a secret superpower because when you go to the national, you don't spend your time jacking your jaws. You spend your time watching and listening. Mm -hmm. Number one, when you go to the national, you get your catalog and you look in it and you learn where these dogs came from and you write little notes. I had to take the catalogs that my mother had collected from 30 years of Clumber Spaniel Nationals that she had written notes about mm -hmm. this one's terrible rear and this one's fabulous head so that no one would ever get their hands on them. I have catalogs just like that right here. Right here exactly. <laughs> and so you have to do that and you have to do that more than once. Because once could be an anomaly. Yeah. But 20 years in and you're still seeing the same damn thing. Yeah, it's not an anomaly anymore. Well, and nothing is ever going to replace seeing those dogs in the flesh, moving around, being able to touch them and watch them. And watch them in the setup, watch right. them in other events, watch them in the hotel. You know, I mean, is this family particularly mouthy? I mean, here you come from Manchester's. They can be a mouthy breed. Is this one quieter than that one? I want to know these things. I want to know it in wire hairs. I am living with the results of breeding to a dog whose sire I knew was mouthy and didn't breed to at the time because he was so mouthy. And I bred to his son and now I have his mouth. Damn it. Fair. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, this is the kind of thing that, again, it looks good on paper and the weird things that pass. Chair sitting, TikTok tails. Like I can't get a front to pass. I can't get, really get an eye color to pass, but by God, I can get chair sitting. Like really? Yeah. I do think, though, that even if you don't have 20 years of experience, you can give yourself a leg up 
by putting in the time and gathering information. So no, it's not as good to get a picture of a dog as it is to see it in real life. But look, if you weren't here 20 years ago, you weren't here 20 years ago. So there's always going to be a time, no matter how long you've been breeding, there was a time before you and there will be a time after you. Yep. Talk to the people who were there 20 years ago. Ask them. the people you were there, but also just go out and find the pictures. I mean, they exist. Right. They can be hard to find but they are invaluable. And I will tell you that one of the things that I did many years ago that I am just so grateful and happy that I did is I started collecting images in my breed. And it was like just randomly going to people's websites who had major breeding programs and saving the pictures from their website in a file with the name of the dog. That was not a particularly time-consuming thing to do. But now, years on, it's a tremendous resource. Not only for me, it certainly has helped me a lot, but also for other people in our breed who maybe never saw that dog. Would like to be able to look at, for example, a sire line and kind of go back and see, like, Mm -hmm. you know, what might be in common as far as different things that are passed along. So... It's an easy thing that anybody can do. The same as it's an easy thing to take pictures of your litters regularly every week. Keep those pictures. Create records for yourself because then you can go back 20 years ago. Right. I think that's one of the biggest things that I love being able to do Mm -hmm. is I can rely on my memory to a degree. Like, oh, my God, that one looks like whoever, Henry. Yep. And then you go and you pull out Henry's pictures and you're like, wow, okay, so this is similar, but it's way better at this. And that's what that dog turned into. So that tells me, oh, okay, so maybe this one isn't going to be quite as long back, but it's still going to have the great hair and that beautiful head. Right. Because your memory can kind of fool you. Well, and particularly, it's really easy for us to have the heart dog or the special one that died young or, you know, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. the emotion as people, our emotions get in the way. Even those of us who have been at it a very long time, maybe more so. I don't know. (laughs) I think you're being charitable though, because like, honestly, I'm just old and I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So legit, there's some of that too. But (laughs) Okay. But anyways, back to our list of things that we can do. Yes. All right. So we talked about goals. We talked about research, planning. You said it. You need to have a plan and you don't just need to have a plan A. You need to have a plan B and you need to have a plan C. Nothing makes me crazier than people. And I include myself in this because I certainly have been in the position running around like a chicken with your head cut off because your bitch is in season and you don't know what you're going to breed her to. So here's a perfect story of have to have plan A, B, and C. So plan A was I was going to breed to the dog from Canada that was going to be at the National. Okay, that was going to be great. Couldn't make it. Okay. Plan B was I was going to breed to this other dog that I figured was probably going to be at the National. And that was going to be great. A little bit of a different, but not really an outcross, but, you know, it was a little loose. Okay, fine. Get the dog, bring him home, do the collection. The vet says, yeah, there's no swimmers. Oh, no. She's on day, like, right now. Plan C. Plan C, breeder to the dog, doesn't take. So now I've lost that entire litter. Right. So the next season comes around. I'm like, 
the hell with any of the rest of it. I'm bringing her this dog. I'm done. (laughs) So plan C became plan A because I was just not willing to mess with it. Well, look, things can go wrong at any moment. You might have like, I don't know, a global pandemic. Right. Oh, hey, how could that possibly have anything Right. Travel plans get screwed up. That was literally the breeding that I did last summer. I'm like, I can't get anything else. I'm breeding her to this dog. It's fine. It's just going to be fine. But like travel plans can get screwed up and your bitch might come in season early and, 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 and. Mm -hmm. Many things can happen. But if you try to have a hierarchy of, okay, this is my preferred breeding this is my second choice. And in a pinch, I can do this. Then you reduce the chances that you're going to have a problem as far as actually getting your bitch bred. And hopefully to something that you like, because you're not going to make good choices if you're just running around trying to find- If you're running around crazy. And that's exactly, I mean, when plan C became plan A because of a pandemic, like, (laughs) okay, now plan A. (laughs) Okay, now here's the most important one of all, in my opinion. You have to be prepared to fail. Yes. This, the one that you said, having a litter of pets is not the worst thing that ever happened. That's right. Health and temperament is always going to be at the top of the list for any of us. I have never met a breeder anywhere who sat down and planned a litter and thought, geez, I really hope I get some hip dysplasia this time or whatever. None of us are like that. Even probably your worst enemy and the person you hate the most in your breed. I can't imagine that they're sitting around hoping they're going to get an issue. Right. But if the worst thing that you produce is pets, that's not the worst thing in the world. Every breeding that you do has value. You said it earlier. You learn something. You learn about what not to do. You learn about how your line is producing, how your bitch... How to evaluate what you have. That's right. So when that best in show dog winds up neutered because you made a bad choice in your puppy evaluations. Right. But you have to let it go. You need to be able to make a decision and live with it in the planning of a breeding, in the evaluation of a puppy. Mm -hmm. So allowing yourself to fail without feeling like a failure is the greatest freedom that you will give yourself as a breeder. Because I think sometimes we just get so wrapped up in the breeding that's in front of us that we won't allow ourselves to fail. We won't allow ourselves to say, you know what, there's nothing in here that I want to keep. And so I'm going to let them go. Exactly. Exactly. That piece right there a number of years ago now, I can't even believe it's been that long. But early on in the podcast, I interviewed Sue Hubner of Cordmaker Pooley. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she said has stayed with me for so long is very similar along this line. Keep what you did the breeding for. If it's not in there, don't keep anything. Which goes all the way back to our very first item on the list, which is set clear and realistic goals. Know what you want to do. That's right. And if what you wanted to do isn't there, don't feel compelled that you have to incorporate something in your breeding program just because you bred it. Right on. They can all go be lovely pets. Right. If you want to take it and breed it, also feel free to do that. You know, there's not a right or a wrong way to do this. 
if I've learned anything from doing this for many years and watching, you know, different breeders, there are a thousand different ways to do this. None of them are right or wrong as long as we have the welfare of our dogs at heart. Yep. And we will learn something new every time, time, every day, every conversation. Yes. Laura, I was on Facebook the other day and I saw a post from Wendy Paquette. Yes. You were telling me this, tell them this, this is fabulous. So she was talking about learning about your line and learning about what your bitches are producing. And so she talked about taking two litter mate bitches and breeding them to the same sire for the purposes of comparing the puppies, that the first breeding out of those two bitches would be to the same male so that there's a basis to compare what one is producing versus the other. Right. And I thought that's a brilliant strategy that I'm not ashamed to say I had never thought of. I never thought of it either. And I wished I had. It goes with some of the information, some of the thoughts that we have as to also expanding our gene pool, Mm -hmm. breed more litter mates fewer times. That's right. And that concept of keeping the breadth of the actual genetic diversity, and I'm not talking now about they look like each other or don't, I'm talking genetic diversity within a breed, that that is so important. And that's something I've really been trying to do in these last couple litters is not so much that I'm going to breed this one dog four times, but I want three, four, five of the litter mates from that litter to produce something That's right. and see kind of where we go from there. And I love it. I think it's a really good rule to go with, but it's also one of those ones that's kind of a little harder in practice than it is in theory. Because, you know, you have to have a place for all of those litter mates to go where they can be intact and be available. And you have to be willing to breed to the one that's not as perfect as his brother. Well, and I think that as much as anything, I just happen to have the perfect litter to try this with. Mm -hmm. It was a litter of 12, eight of which were bitches. And several of which went into homes where they would be bred from. Well, Merry Christmas. Let's see how this goes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We can ponder the theories and the Mm -hmm. different ideas and we can try new things if we give ourselves permission to do it. Right. And that I hope when breeders who have been around for a, a long time and are helping others, that I hope is the gift that they're giving them is permission to try things. To try something new and different. That's right. And, you know, what's the worst thing that happens? Oh, we had some pets. Exactly. There's the pet people who own them are pretty happy that you did. I think they are fabulous. That's right. And that was the case. All the way back to the beginning, the puppies for my six out of seven mismarked puppies. Those were well-loved, well-adored, long-lived, healthy hunting dogs that made fabulous, fabulous family companions and made people very happy for 12, 15 years. That's right. So that's what we're really here for, right? Exactly. It's not just the ribbons. Oh my heavens. If we were just here for the ribbons, then they're really expensive ribbons. (laughs) Sort of the point I was making, man. All right, Amanda, as always, you are a joy and a treasure. All right, crew. Like the NPR of dogdom. Pure Dog Talk is here for you. 
to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. One of my favorite events over the last year or so has been the virtual After Dark for patrons of the podcast. Anybody can join this amazing community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking the Become a Patron link on the homepage. While you're there zooming around on the site, you can check out our shopping tab too. There's even a Pure Dog Talk swag link. Who knew? Share the love with all our cool gear. Check it all out at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.